Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Interest in the special election for an open Senate seat has grown significantly. We break down the candidates vying to represent the 8th Senate District. Plus, two Wisconsin election officials are now part of a U.S. DOJ investigation into former President Donald Trump's attempt to stay in office. And should TikTok be banned on state government devices? We explain why Republicans are urging the governor to take action. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for December 9th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Chair, we're first going to start with the field of candidates are really growing for the 8th Senate District. Now there's been a lot more candidates that have joined, and we now have our first Democrat who entered the race. This seat, of course, does compromise or or does cover some of the Wow counties, and of course it is a vacant seat now Mm -hmm. because Senator Alberta Darling is leaving the state Senate. So just this week, we had Representative Janelle Branchin from the Assembly announce that she's throwing her hat into the race. We already knew about Representative Dan Canodal, and we have a new faces are the next three after that. Robert Albertson, Van Mobley, and Jody Sinkin. Now, Jody Sinkin is the only Democrat in the race and the first to announce, so this really just kind of shakes, shakes it up quite a bit. Yeah. So, important to note, the primary will be February 21st, lines up with the already scheduled spring election, the general in April. The interesting to watch with the Republican field is how do the players split the vote? So you're talking low turnout primary. I, I'm looking around. There's nothing to drive turnout besides the Supreme Court primary, which, you know, should be a healthy primary, but there's not a lot of local uh, races or anything like that. So in a low turnout primary, if it turns out to be that way, you can amplify voices if you get them out. So like Janelle Branchin. She's obviously a big Trump supporter. She spoke at the rally that Trump came to in Waukesha County for Adam Steen. Will Donald Trump endorse in a state Senate primary in Wisconsin? He's a big fan of Janelle's. He talks Mm -hmm. about it quite a bit. Van Mobley, however, was one of the first elected officials in Wisconsin to endorse Trump in the 2016 uh, presidential election. Does that carry weight? Does he remember that from six, seven years ago? I don't know. Canodal, he's representative of assembly seat since 2008 when he was first elected. It's changed over the years. He'll argue, look, I've covered half of this district essentially over the last you know, 14 years or so. People know who I am. Also, he's put money in the campaigns before, so he's got a little bit of a personal money he might be able to put into it. Still have to watch Randy Hopper, former state senator from the Fond du Lac area. He lost in recall election a decade ago, more than that, a dozen years ago. He lives now in this district. Might he run? The longer we go without him saying he's in, makes it less likely. But what I'm wondering is, who, how do you split the field? What, what drives people in this primary? And does it bode well for Janelle, who's been pushed out of the closed caucus in the assembly, who's poised to lose her chair, uh, position as chair of the campaign elections committee in the assembly, does this give her a better shot the more the vote is split? Because that if she has a dedicated band of supporters, will turn out in February, 
it might be enough for her. And with the Democratic Party having so much money, uh, do they invest in a candidate in the primary? Often they usually don't. They wait. But if there's not another Democrat in the race, maybe we could see, you know, uh, Sidnick come out of the pack a little bit, quite a bit. And with that pairing up with the state Supreme Court race, that could help her in a sense. But of course we know if she doesn't have a challenger, it might be pretty easy for yeah. her to get through. The Habish in her name is the Habishes of Habish, Habish and Rotier. Um, her and her husband own a textile company, I believe. So there's probably some personal money to put in. Democrats in general have got a ton of money they've been raising with Ben Wickler, state party chair. This race could deny Republicans a two-thirds majority in the Senate, mm -hmm. at least through 2024. There are some big stakes there. Democrats will also invest heavily in the Supreme Court race, so also the issue of abortion, right? This is still percolating. Um, will that drive people in April, both in the Supreme Court race and this race, this is not a swing district necessarily. I was just going to mention that it's a very, very red district. Ron Johnson, looking at the breakdown of like what happened November eighth, Ron Johnson went about fifty-four percent. Tim Michaels, though, got fifty-one point five percent. We've talked; he was uh, hit by the abortion issue, sexual harassment at his company, and the Trump thing. If you have a not a great Republican candidate, you open the door in a low turnout race like April might be to a Democrat winning possibly. I think it will also be a test to see if Trump endorses in the race, is the Trump factor still have the yep. same energy as it did as so many years ago? That was also things that many people talked about with the disappointing midterms that Republicans who aligned with Trump didn't do as well as they thought they were going to. Mm -hmm. All right, speaking of the election, we're going to highlight two election officials that were issued subpoenas by the U.S. DOJ this week. I'm talking about Dane County Clerk Scott McDonald and Milwaukee County Clerk uh, George Christensen. So they were issued these subpoenas regarding communications that they had with former President Donald Trump and many of his allies related to Trump's attempt to stay in office. That's the January 6th. I also um, uh, you know, read in the subpoena that they're possibly looking into um, uh, Trump's, the documents that he, the the confidential documents that he uh, that were found at his Mar-a-Lago residence. So this is all part of the DOJ investigation. And talking to both of the clerks, they told me um, there was a list of 13 names. And if they had any communication with these people, either through email, phone, or whatever documents they had, they had to submit that. And one name that stuck out um, to both of them was James Trupas, who was a lawyer hired by the Trump campaign to oversee the recounts in Dane and Milwaukee County. I spoke to both of the clerks, like I just mentioned, and let's hear from them talking about the individual uh, that I'm speaking about, James Trupas, and why they had contact with him. Most of what we sent over were the transcripts of the recount. I primarily um, dealt with uh, Jim Trupas and Chris Trupas, who were running the recount in Wisconsin, but not anyone else on that list. I, I don't believe there would be any sort of a smoking gun. However, um, I'm not a special investigator. Uh, I'm not a legal counsel. And so um, that's what I'm sure they're looking for. I'm sure they're looking for key bits of evidence that maybe um, are, are out there. And so uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Another name that stood out on that list was uh, John Eastman, who was a former legal advisor to Robin, or excuse me, to Trump, and who also pushed Assembly Speaker Robin Voss to try to overturn the election. Of course, that never happened. Voss was against that move. Um, so that those are the two names out of uh, the list of, excuse me, it was 19 officials mm -hmm. instead of 13. Sydney Powell is also on this. She filed the ill-fated lawsuit to try to overturn the 2020 election results in Wisconsin that raised conspiracy theories about Dominion machines. This masked informant, it was, all, it was a lot of craziness in that lawsuit. Um, also worth mentioning that are they looking at the uh, false elector 
scheme mm -hmm. that was pushed in multiple states, and we weren't the only place to get subpoenas. I think Arizona, Michigan also got uh, subpoenas as well. And uh, today was actually the deadline mm -hmm. as of 9 a.m. Uh, to turn in those documents. Now, the subpoena said to come in person before a grand jury to testify. McDonald and Christian said they talked to the DOJ officials. They didn't have to be here in person, so they did just send any documentation that they had electronically. Um, also just want to worth mentioning, as of this morning, uh, a little bit of a change in the Evers cabinet. As we just learned about an hour ago, uh, Secretary Karen Timberlake, who is leading the Department of Health Services, is departing. But, Jared, this is kind of not unusual and likely not going to be the last secretary that leaves because when it comes to a new term, there's people that want to come and go. No. Uh, Preston Cole, DNR secretary, he retired November 23rd. Karen's uh, departure is effective January 2nd. Remember, she actually replaced uh, DHS Secretary Andrea Palm, who left to go to the Biden administration in 21. Neither Palm nor Timberlake were confirmed or even had a hearing, I believe, with the state Senate. There were some concerns about Evers' uh, COVID policies that drove that. Don't forget, too, with the Evers administration, Caleb Frostman was fired, basically, he pushed out as DDB secretary um, because of the whole debacle with unemployment claims being filled. The state Senate rejected the confirmation of the nomination of Brad Paff to lead DATCAP. So there's already been change with the Evers administration during this first term, but it is commonplace to see people leave at four years is a long time in these jobs so I expect there will be at least a, a one or two more possibly that's totally normal now if you see everybody leave yeah then <laughs> there's something they, yeah then there's something but water. a couple <laughs> people leaving is pretty normal right uh, also looking ahead to this weekend on Saturday the state Republican Party will be selecting their next leader which is the next chair mm -hmm. now I think you and I both know there's one name that's standing yep. out right now which is Brian Shimming. so on Saturday they'll have this vote and it comes after a disappointing midterm Republicans are now really considering will they make this a paid position so I think we largely know the debate tomorrow, that's what it's going to be about. Mm -hmm. um, so Ben Volkel, who worked as an aide to Ron Johnson, he considered a run. Terry Dietrich, who's a Waukesha County GOP chair, he considered a run. Um, Jesse Garza, who's on the executive committee, he considered a run. They ultimately yesterday decided against it uh, for various reasons. Shimming told me via text that he has enormous support, quote unquote, on the executive committee, which makes this decision. The only question is, will they make it a pay position right away? Will there be a transition? Uh, Gerard Randall, who's on the executive committee, he has followed the idea, Republicans told me, of doing an interim chair to kind of work out this change because they've been in a volunteer position for a long time. How much can you pay this person? What will his or her responsibilities be? Like, what's the expectation? How do you measure, you know, their performance? Those kinds of things are kind of not established. So it could be a long meeting tomorrow to do that. It looks a little like people are coalescing around shimming matters is he right away is there kind of some interim period? And there's no time to waste. The Supreme Court race in April is going to be very expensive. They're already behind Democrats in raising money. Both parties are fully engaged in the Supreme Court race. The more time it takes them to get up and going, the farther they are behind the Democrats raising money for that race. Right, and elections never stop here no. in Wisconsin. Once no. one ends, one picks up, and which is all out of focus right now, is the SCOTUS race. Also, just wanted to mention, there are some proponents of a pay position because they really just kind of want the status quo of some of the people that I've been talking to. They argue kind of shifting the rules well, would 
kind of provide the party, you know, let's stick with the consistency. But, you know, if, if you're the individual running the party, of course, you would probably like to see some money out of it uh, because it's not easy. I mean, I talked to Andrew Hitt, was the former state uh, chair before uh, right now, um, uh, Paul Farrow, who is in the who is leaving. And he just said it was hard to balance. You know, he's got a full time job. You know, if you could be on the road, make calls and do that, it's a lot easier. But he had a desk job. So it was it was a hard life work balance in addition to what he was already doing. Yeah, Brad coordinated for eight years under Scott Walker. He had a job where he was traveling a lot in mm-hmm. the car. He'd make calls. Right. You, people are, you need a full-time fundraiser, essentially state party chair right now for Republicans. And worth noting that we've mentioned before, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin is a paid position. Mm-hmm. Ben Wickler has done a fantastic job at raising money. Uh, also this week, there was a little spat uh, regarding the popular video sharing app, TikTok. So Republican members of Wisconsin's delegation in Congress, they wrote a letter to Governor Tony Evers asking him to ban TikTok from state governor state government devices, calling it a, quote, national security threat. Now, this issue has been talked about for a very long time. There's been some uh, federal officials that have warned some things about this app. Specifically, the issue that they have raised is that it has the ability to spy on users. And Representative uh, Gallagher, who I spoke to, he said he believes it promotes Chinese Communist Party propaganda. And that's what they wrote in this letter. Um, Before we get into how the Evers administration is uh, is reacting, I spoke to Congressman Gallagher about his big concerns about this app. And let's just take a listen. My biggest fear is that we are allowing um, a an app controlled by the Chinese Communist Party become to become the most powerful media company in America. That's a massive tool that we just handed to the CCP. And as we're seeing right now, with the way in which they're suppressing protesters in China using instruments of totalitarian surveillance, they can be incredibly, incredibly repressive. And I think we'd be naive to delude ourselves into thinking that that form of repression is confined to Xinjiang province or to China domestically. That's a model of total state control, techno-totalitarian control that they're trying to export around the world. So we need to stop this before it gets worse. A spokeswoman for Governor Tony Evers, Britt Cudabek, basically said in a tweet shortly after this letter came out that if they really wanted to work with the governor, they would have picked up the phone instead of sending the letter. So, you know, of course, this could be seen as a little bit political. Um, Their response to this, though, is kind of summarizing here that they take you know, this stuff very seriously, and they regularly consult with cybersecurity, FBI, all these officials, if anything was super concerning. Now, we do know Governor Tony Evers, during the campaign, did use TikTok as a platform. Also, someone who used it quite a bit was Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who just lost his Senate bid against Ron Johnson. He did that a lot, actually, um, on TikTok. So it's it's pretty typical, but I think this is going to be an issue looking forward to next uh, session in Congress that we're going to hear a lot of Republicans from Wisconsin talking about this. There are at least three or four governors this week who are, by this, we had banned TikTok on various state agency uh, devices around the country. Um, this is kind of political catnip, I call it. You know, I'm not sure if the letter got to the media before it got to Governor Evers. My suspicion is it did. So they're trying to get a little bit of attention about this. Now, the security risks are very real, but why can't you reach out and connect to the person first before it becomes a story? There's that question to be raised. 
I'll be interested to watch how it plays out going forward. And also speaking about Congress, a big victory for Senator Tammy Baldwin, who finally, the, the, her Respect for Marriage Act bill reached its final hurdle. It passed the House, so it will be heading to President Biden's desk. And interesting, in the House, we saw two members of Wisconsin's delegation on the Republican side, Representative Gallagher and Representative Brian Stile, vote yes in favor of that bill. Gallagher is more interesting because he flipped his vote from a no the mm -hmm. first time. Now, he said that the the revised bill with an amendment that was added trying to appease Republicans addresses concerns about uh, polygamy and those kinds of things. There's also a broader issue for Republicans here about the average voter. The average voter is okay with gay marriage, right? So you have the base, which have a lot of religious conservatives in it, and you have winning a general election. The base may not be happy with Gallagher about what he did because they want to stay true to this issue, but the reality is most voters are in that kind of camp saying, hey, gay marriage is fine with me. Why are we not protecting it? So it's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out from politically because he maybe has a future. He had, uh, I looked at FEC reports uh, late last night, early this morning. He's got three million bucks in the bank. Um, that's a, the biggest war chest of anybody in the congressional delegation. Been mentioned as a possible person to take on Kimmy Baldwin in two years, although it's going to be a challenge for anybody looking at how what a great fundraiser she is and various factors. But what's his future going to be? Can he lead the party in a new direction? Because there are a lot of problems talking about where we go post-Trump, right? Mm -hmm. um, is this part of the path of trying to go where the voters are and reach them rather than trying to retrench with the base? All right. Let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is tech college system enrollment because it is up 10%. Yes. Now, caveats, doesn't make up the 13% drop the year before, we have impacted by COVID. We're still well below where we were a decade ago with the tech college system. There are a couple of things going on. Number one is demographics. There are fewer kids graduating Wisconsin high schools these days. Number two is COVID. Uh, that dropped a lot of enrollments for a lot of colleges around the country. Uh, thirdly, tech colleges will tell you when we have a good economy, it's hard to get kids into the tech college system because they can go make a good wage just walking out the door and going to you know, pick your employer paying top dollar for warehouse jobs or various things. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch how things work out for the system in the budget because you know, lawmakers have kept an eye on UW and public schools saying, well, Roman's down, what's going on? Like, why are we investing so much in these uh, entities where you're seeing declining enrollment? You don't hear a lot of outcry from Republicans about investing in the tech college system. Part of it is because there are a lot of tech college campuses around the state in their districts, right? right? Mm -hmm. Also, we need to produce more welders. We need, I mean, more skilled labor is needed, or not just in Wisconsin, but across the country. So be interesting to watch how that plays out in terms of funding the state budget when we start really kicking the tires on that thing early next year. Right, as it's just been kind of for the last five, ten years, just less students mm -hmm. want to go to a big university and rather just go to get their skills and trades and mm -hmm. move on in life. Uh, mixed this week is Representative Evan Goike, who represents Milwaukee. He announced that he is going to make a bid for Milwaukee City Attorney in the 2024 race. Now, he's going to be going up against the current city attorney, who is Terman Spencer, who has had a lot of controversies, a I guess. You, uh, yeah, a lot. Um, he's had a slew of employees leave in the last several months. And also worth pointing out, if Goyke does not win uh, against Spencer, he could still remain as a state representative. Mm -hmm. So interesting to note, um, this is awfully early to announce for a race in April of 2024. So why? Well, maybe Goyke is trying to clear the field a bit, say, hey, I'm the person getting in. Uh, we still have a few weeks left in the 2020 or 2022 year. There'll be finance reports that will come out in January. Maybe it can show, hey, a little boost in fundraising that I'm a serious guy, scare off others. can 
considering how vulnerable the incumbent is, however, um, I don't know if that's going to work. There will be a number of people who might look at this job and say, hey, I want to get kicked the tires here. The incumbent has, if I remember correctly, at least three female staffers have accused him of harassment of some form or another. There are three complaints filed against him. There's been an excess of people working in the office. So he's not in a strong position to seek re-election, right? Goyke running, uh, been a lawmaker for several terms on the Finance Committee. Just got reappointed this week, by the way. Um, he'll be wrapped up with the budget. May and June-ish at least, but I'll be behind him by the time this rolls around, so got some time. Some big questions facing him are, will he go after the incumbent, like, ferociously about these challenges, right? Is he in a, does he have that fire to be, you know, bare-knuckle brawler? You also can't ignore race in a, a race in Milwaukee. You have a black incumbent being challenged by a white lawmaker who represents a district with a, a very diverse district, but still, might that become an issue in the campaign? We shall see. But it's going to be interesting to watch how this plays out, um, how Goyke fundraises. Uh, the incumbent had, I think, less than 2000 bucks in the bank at the end of July or into June. Mm-hmm. So not a really strong fundraiser. Lots of issues. But he's not in good position to win. you got to take it from him. That's the challenge with anybody taking an incumbent. You have to go take it from him to win that seat. And like you mentioned, this is not until 2024. It's very early for him to announce. So he will still be here sitting on Joint Finance Committee for the next budget cycle discussions. But we've also seen a lot of changes in the makeup of Joint Finance, which I do want to bring up only because there's a lot, there's two people who have yet to be named by Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemonhue to a point there. But there's going to be a lot of new faces in general, uh, JR, look into the next budget session. So Goyke's coming back. Uh, Greta Neubauer appointed Tip McGuire of Kenosha. Uh, to join Gwiki on the Assembly Democratic side. On the Senate side, the Democrats, we have Latanya Johnson coming back, Kelda Roy's <coughs> adding the committee from Madison. Uh, we have uh, some Republicans announced their picks late uh, a week ago. Uh, there's one vacancy there. Oh, with one Amy Loudenbeck leaving. Mm-hmm. She also was vice chair of the committee this session. Terry, Oost, uh, Terry Kaspa from Oostburg has been elevated to vice chair of that committee. Alex Dalman has been added to the committee to fill that vacancy. The rest of the people are coming back. Jesse Rodriguez, uh, Zimmerman, uh, Kurtz, they're all back. On the Senate side, I talked to Lemahue a couple, actually right after the election. He said he's going to reappoint, oh, Mark Bourne is coming back as co-chair for the Assembly Republicans. Lemahue says he's going to reappoint Mark Line, Howard Mark Line of Spring Green as co-chair. Everybody else is coming back. He says there are two vacancies there. Got to watch, see how he fills those, but we're going to see Dewey Strobel again uh, from Zockville, Mary Chaya uh, from up north, and I'm feeding the first fourth person. I did pretty well <laughs> so, so far. I know. I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, that's Joan, very impressive. Joan Bullock and Mark is in. Okay. Sorry. So I was going I around. I was looking at the room <laughs> in my mind of going around, and you were doing the circles the same way. So, so. it's going to be yeah. it's going to be interesting to watch the Democrats. The challenge is how do you carry the message when you're going to be in a 12-4 minority when the governor's budget is going to be reworked by Republicans dramatically, and you've got to try and carry a message in that room about why they should vote for something that they're not going to vote for. All right. And falling this week is students' mental health. So DPI has a survey they do every year, release results. Um, looking at those results, there's been an, an uptick in the number of kids who basically said they've been felt hopeless for more than two weeks in a row, you know, depression. Um, looking at individual stats, in some cases you're not seeing a dramatic change from uh, pre-COVID. This is the fall 2021 results Looking at 2019, maybe not statistically significant changes, but um, still some evidence of, you know, maybe the impact of the COVID years. Really noteworthy. Uh, I think close to half of the gay, lesbian, and uh, bisexual students said they 
uh, considered suicide in the last year, uh, significantly higher than other student groups. Jill Unley, the state superintendent, talked about that release. We have to address this issue. And we're going to see $240 million proposed by Governor Evers in the budget to address student mental health. Um, what to watch, will Republicans embrace that kind of spending? It is part of a more than $2.5 billion package in general purpose revenue uh, that DPI is requesting for the budget, the biggest uh, increase requested of state agencies. Will Republicans keep that in the budget when they start uh, taking that thing up sometime next year? And mental health is typically, you know, not a, a divisive issue in mm -hmm. the state capitol, but some of the rhetoric that we've heard from Republicans in the past of not approving all that Governor Evers has put in his budget is, well, he closed down schools, you know, he he uh, made this worse, the whole yeah. mental health aspect, and, of course, the learning loss. Uh, that's probably going to be uh, talked about quite a bit. Uh, it was last year, and it's probably still going to stay in discussions this time around of, of, of where Republicans are going to come from as uh, probably on the, on the defense of why they don't want to invest that much. But remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. They have reached compromise before on certain things. All right, so that will do it for this week. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. And we are going to end the show with a little bit of holiday spirit looking back at the tree lighting at the state capitol. Have a good one. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.